0: Wirebank Sucks listeners, this is James Baca, the host of the Wirebank Sucks podcast, inviting you to join us on Patreon. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash Wirebank For as little as $1 a month, you could help support the podcast, which helps us pay the bills, take care of our responsibilities, and allows yours truly, James Baca, the ability to work full time battling big banks with his patented version of vigilante customer service. The Why your Bank Sucks podcast not only discusses what is wrong with big banks, but it also lends a hand to clients in need who are being taken advantage of by bigger banks such as Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, among others. For $1 a month, you can show your support in the battle for better bank service. We also have bonus podcasts and content along with merchandise at the $2, $5, $15, and $35 levels, and you also have the ability to donate what you think we are worth. PayPal is also accepted, but I prefer to show strength in numbers by going to patreon.com slash wirebanksucks to support this podcast. We would love to have you as a patron and love that you're allowing James to work full-time kicking the butts of big banks. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Sucks podcast. My name is James Baca, and I'm here to tell you why your bank does in fact suck very much. Wirebank sucks is having a very successful week. We're in the process of rescuing about $4,000 in unauthorized Zelle transactions for three different people across the country. Still working on it with um, the followers that I have on Twitter, helping them get in contact with their bank and helping them state their case that, hey, it wasn't me that did those Zelle transfers. Because as you already know from this podcast, Zelle is garbage. Zelle actually is a third-party application that banks are investing in and they're using that as an excuse to decline fraud claims so bank of america wells fargo chase are declining claims that they know are fraud because their excuse is while this user this customer is using a third-party service and we're not responsible for losses incurred on that third-party service even though it's in the app it's just insane to me and it's the craziest thing and today's um, main topic Is going to be about an NBC News um, story that ran three days ago about Zelle and how Zelle um, was responsible, or I guess Zelle was used to defraud you know dozens of people across the country. It's more than the thousands, but they profiled a few different people on the NBC article and the NBC story, and um, I definitely want to discuss that because. I'm really glad that it's making national news, although I do believe that NBC just totally missed the boat on a lot of things, a lot of the things that we're fighting for here at Wirebank Sucks. And I'll just say now if anyone from NBC or any media would like to talk to myself, James Baca, former 13 year banker at Bank of America, please contact me at James at wirebanksucks.com. And you can see my contact phone number on wirebanksucks.com as well. Um, please locate me and I will discuss what's going on because today's topic is going to be about what NBC missed in that story. Wanted to start today's um, podcast with an interesting story. Someone had brought up that um, a Bank of America in Vegas had a, a tattered and torn American flag on a flagpole and they were just you know offended by that. Today is flag day as I'm recording this. And I was really... Inspired to talk about um, an American flag experience I had at my Bank of America here in New Mexico Now, you know, I of course am a proud American. I'm proud and happy to say that um, You know, I I don't really know a lot of, about flag etiquette. I guess I should learn. Um, I, I really want to learn um, Obviously one of the things that's interesting about Bank of America is, you know, their logo is a flag And I've said this to someone who I worked with a couple years ago. I said, hey, you know, all the crappy things that Bank of America does, the one thing that they got right is they have an American flag for their logo. So, you know, if someone's protesting Bank of America, they're not going to burn Bank of America's logo in effigy. They're not going to protest it by, you know, burning Bank of America promotional materials because... They're technically burning an American flag at that point, and I could see why a lot of people wouldn't want to do that. I, I just thought, you know, as a from a marketing standpoint, it's good, It's like, hey, no one can harm your brand by doing that to it. Silly, I know, but I mean, I I really do believe, you know, that plays into it, you know, because all of Bank of America's logos have the flagscape, have the American flag on there. But um, the Twitter post that I saw about the the Vegas incident with the tattered torn flag just took me back to an incident I had. Um, here in New Mexico, where I knew a lot of my customers, you know, a lot of them were great people, and uh, my clientele was primarily older, so, you know, they were always good to talk to, older people love to talk, so you'd always sit there and, you know, talk with them for 5-10 minutes about their families, about what's going on in the world and everything, you know, you had things that you probably, as a banker, shouldn't talk about to waste time, you know, if there was a long line, I'm not going to be, you know, chatting it up as much as I normally would if no one's there, But, you know, these older folks are really great. A lot of veterans, a lot of Vietnam veterans in their, you know, 60s and 70s now. And then I had a couple of, you know, Korean War and even World War II veterans that were my clients. A lot of them have gone now. But about four years ago, I had a Korean War veteran customer. I won't mention his name, of course. Great man. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, What was funny about him is he never called me James. He called me Ben, and I don't understand how I became Ben, but anytime he would say, hey, Ben, I mean, I would answer him just because I felt obligated to not correct him and make him, you know, embarrassed or whatever. So I went by Ben, (laughs) and it was just hilarious that I went by that for years. But he was as gung-ho an American hero as can be. You know, he fought in a war. He loved his country. He wore a hat that proudly displayed his battalion or whatever he was with and you know he really really loved all that stuff the one thing he didn't love though was bank of america um that location that i worked at you know they would put the flag up sparingly it used to be the responsibility of an associate but the the fewer the associates the less opportunity it was to raise the flag up to hoist the flag up we had a veteran who was a security guard and he had volunteered to raise the flag every morning but his security detail the company that had him do security for bank of america and bank of america themselves denied the security guard um, access to the break room where the flag was so he couldn't raise the flag so once we started having a full-time security guard about five years ago what was crazy was it just seemed more cold in the bank it just seemed like everything got less friendly, you know, the people around me, and I was the friendliest person there. And one of the things that I noticed that just made me feel like I'm in a horrible place to work was the fact that my customer who calls me, Ben, said, Ben, I'm upset. They never raised the flag. Hell, I'll raise the damn flag for you if Bank of America doesn't want to raise the stars and stripes. I want to see that flag. I fought for that flag. You know, please raise it up. And he would do that. He would complain every single time that he would go in. And as a customer service rep, as a manager, I have to document anytime someone complains and I send it off to my superior and that would be the end of that. I would never hear resolutions for these things. I really think that Bank of America just you know, listens to complaints, but they don't do anything about them. That way they can track long-term how to fix something, not on an individual basis it's like you know if we get a thousand complaints about flags then we'll do something about it at that point so every time he would come in which was often you know he would complain about the flag and i told him i said you know it's it's something that they don't let us do they don't let the security card do we're trying to figure out the best way for it i was trying to bs him because i didn't really know the resolution or the end result to that but any time that i would complain to my superiors that someone was complaining about the flagpole being empty and we're not raising the flag and everything um it really got to me because you know this is one of my favorite customers and he ended up leaving bank of america just before i had left um the company as well um, because he was frustrated about other things but he would come in with that complaint all the time and yeah my managers you know rolled their eyes at that point saying he's complaining again whatever i was like it's a logical complaint it's something that needs to be addressed you know the flag is not being flown and there's a flagpole there i'm, I'm sure with flag etiquette and all that that's some sort of disrespectful thing I, I don't know about all that but he wants to raise a flag for us he literally wants to buy a flag and come every morning and put his flag up and then put it down because this is bank of america and i you know i told my bosses that and i said hey you know he's gonna come in you know you know him he calls me ben and he comes sees me all the time and And he wants to talk, you know, to me, and I'm going to hear the flag thing every single time. I was like, until he dies, I guarantee you we will hear this, you know, and it's a morbid thing to say, but it's true. It's something he felt strongly about, and I felt strongly about his complaint, too, because I really considered him a great friend, and I still do. I I saw him at the grocery store a couple months ago, and I waved. I didn't talk to him, but he knows me, and I know him, and he's a great guy. I probably logged, I'm going to say the 15th complaint. That he had about the flag that I had to document. So I documented it on our little complaint tracker system that they have. They have a system that just tracks times that the bank, you know, gets smack talk to them inside the bank, for, for lack of a better term. And I put customer, you know, was complaining that the flag wasn't up and we're not allowed to put the flag and this and that and the other thing. Same things that I always put. And then, we get a call from the property managers of the Bank of America building saying, and I answered the call and they said, yeah, we're gonna um, do some flagpole something with a flagpole. I was like, oh yeah, let me put you on hold. Um, I need to talk to my manager. You know, she's gonna let you know what to do or whatever. I didn't know what it was, so you know, I transferred the call to my manager and you know, she's not the one who did what I'm about to say, but she took the call and she said, yeah, you know, come on in later today, whatever. And. I was like, okay, well, I guess, you know, something's going to be done. You know, anytime there was a repairman or something, you know, hey, he's coming. and Or they're coming to spray for bugs or whatever. So, you know, we were all made aware that someone was coming to do something with the flagpole. And I really didn't know what was going on. So I go to my lunch break about 3 o'clock, an hour before we closed, because I never got to take a lunch on time. So I decided, I was like, this could be my early dinner. So I'm going to go drive to McDonald's really quick get um, a couple of chicken sandwiches, one for now and one for an hour later whenever I get to eat dinner. And I drive and I come back and I see the people, you know, with tools and all this stuff on the flagpole. And I see them remove the flagpole. Literally Bank of America took the complaint of my customers so many times, you know, raise the flag, raise the flag, raise the flag. And I'm all for it. I'm not against it in any way. I'm as American as can be. And when I got back from McDonald's, I saw them remove the freaking flagpole. They literally took the the metal pole and its base off of that cement slab that it was on at my bank branch. Totally gone. So the last you know year or so we were there, just this big circle with this big splotch of cement and a place where a flagpole once stood so bank of america instead of you know telling a teller or a banker or me or whatever saying hey raise the flag every morning it's part of your responsibilities put the interest rates on the board uh print out some documents for the tellers to give to customers and then oh yeah you can do the flag and then make sure that it's down as soon as we close you know fold it properly and store it away in a secure location i mean it's not that hard i'm sure it takes two minutes to do the flag you know But they took the flagpole out. (laughs) And I just was stunned. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, the the result of the complaints of Bank of America needs to put the flag up, there's an empty flagpole in disrespect. Hey, let's remove the flagpole and they'll stop complaining. So, one of two things happened. So, one, either they had so many complaints about the flagpole from him and probably other people too that they said, well, we gotta address this. How do we address it? Yeah, let's spend several hundred dollars to remove this big 20-foot pole in front of our bank. That way people stop complaining. That way they don't go, hey, well, there's not a flagpole there, so I guess we can't put a flag up, right? (laughs) It was just so stupid. Rather than someone that you're paying money to, to just go walk out there and put the flagpole up. It's a combination of shorter staff and saying, hey, you got to multitask and we don't have time for things like flags anymore. And then two seeing how that complaint kind of enhanced all the other things that was wrong with the bank saying hey we had 150 complaints this month and 10 of them were about to flag we need to do something about this flag that way we can lower the amount of um complaints that we have on the system and they removed the freaking flag you got to be kidding me and i was i would see my customer after that a couple of times and he never mentioned the flag thing But deep down, I really know that he was probably hurt and upset by that. Hell, I would be too. Um, Just because they removed something, and they're so proud of their logo, which has a flag on there. And they couldn't even spend the time to raise the flag on a pole, not letting the security guard do it because that's not his job, and he's not technically our employee. And secondarily, not letting any of the associates do it because, hey, we got other things to do, sales and Got to make sure that we're showing people how to use the ATM and so forth. And they take the complaints of a customer who served our country and decided, hey, well, okay, we'll listen to your complaints. So, tell you what, you're not going to have that flag problem anymore because we're not going to have a poll. We're not going to have a poll at your branch anymore. How about that? That's literally one of the things. I'm going to say this isn't the end of the podcast. There's still more. This is why my bank sucks. This is why your bank sucks because they literally said, hey, removing your poll from the front of your bank is going to alleviate the complaints that you're not putting up the flag you know it's like saying hey the windows keep on breaking so let's just remove the windows and have no windows in our house because if you don't have windows then there's not going to be complaints about them breaking now right so stupid and it makes no sense and i know that my um, client is in listening to this podcast he's kind of hard of hearing you had to yell at him to, to talk to him essentially that's how hard of hearing he was from the war but if he was listening, I'd say, hey, thank you for being a customer for so long. and Thank you for your service. It's really, really cool um, that someone cares so much about something like that. And um, seeing the tattered and torn flag at the Bank of America location in Vegas that the Twitter um, user sent me a message on, um, I got to say that I feel that if that complaint happens enough, guess what? The flagpole coming down in Vegas, too. I don't think they're gonna buy a flag because it's too easy and it makes it makes too much sense to just buy a ten dollar flag and put it up every day. Now let's just get rid of it. That way we don't have that problem anymore. It is insane. So um, after this brief promotional consideration from our friends at Casasa, we're gonna to get to the main topic today, which is Zell and the NBC News um, article and story that was on the nightly news. Um, discussing it breaking it down and i'm going to point out a couple things that were wrong with it and it's something as part of our project to get rid of zell that i'm really really hell-bent on discussing because they totally missed the boat on the most important thing about what's going on with zell and that's the fact that customers are not getting their money back so um after this brief promotional consideration we will get to that so stick around The Wire Bank Sucks podcast is brought to you by our friends at Kasasa. So if you go to Kasasa.com, that's K-A-S-A-S-A dot com, you can learn more about Kasasa checking, which is free checking with awesome rewards. You can ask for Kasasa at more than 2,939 local bank and credit union branches nationwide, Earning cash rewards and ATM withdrawal fee refunds is super simple with them. If you're using your debit card, logging into online banking, using direct deposit and signing up for e-statements, things you already do at your bank, you can actually earn rewards with Kasasa. You get truly personal service from people who care right down the street, Free checking, no exceptions, no monthly maintenance fees ever, ever, ever. Cash rewards every month. You can earn up to 34 times more than the average account with a bank. And an ATM on every corner. Refunds on ATM withdrawal fees nationwide. That sounds like Kasasa checking to me, and that sounds like a great deal. So go to Kasasa.com. That's k-a-s-a-s-a.com to discover a Kasasa account near you. I got to tell you, they're changing the way that you're doing banking, my friends. And I'm a believer now, so go to Kasasa today. All right, we are back. So the main topic is Zell again. The NBC News nightly news report that they had a couple of days ago was was damning to say the least. I really do believe and I'm glad that NBC and national outlets are picking up on it. Mainly because there's so much fraud going on, guys. It's it's millions of dollars of fraud. And the people that I have helped, I've rescued $40,000 of it, okay? So there's so many people who are not getting the help that they need. And I'm glad that at least the news has their ear to the ground saying, Hey, you know, this is, this is something that's really big that's going on um, with banking right now. We need to talk about it. And I'm glad that they brought it to the attention of millions of people who still watch the news. I'm, you know, I'm 36 and I'm not the demographic of people who watch the national nightly news but the people who are older who are going to be convinced to do online banking by their major banks really needed to know this and they needed to have that little element of fear in them now that hey don't trust everything just because this big bank says that it's going to be safe and okay so you know what zell is about of course is sending money to close friends and family and i think a lot of the people who were scammed on here on this uh, news story that they had obviously it wasn't being sent to their friends and family but a lot of them were out thousands and thousands of dollars and nbc missed one important thing on their news story that i really wanted to talk about but what i wanted to do was i wanted to play um, the beginning of this report and then i'm going to elaborate on it so give me just one second here
1: you have mobile banking odds are you have zelle a program built into many of the most popular banking apps Zelle is an easy way to send and receive money with friends and family.
0: All right, and that little thing in there was a little mini commercial within the news article that they stole from Zelle's website that says, Zelle makes it easy to send money to your friends and family. They're already kind of putting that out there saying... Only to your friends and family, not to anyone else. They're already kind of warning you, saying, hey, this should only be used with the people that's closest to you. Now, obviously, the fraud that happens with Zelle is not going to be with friends and family in 99% of the cases. So the fact that they just say that Zelle, instead of saying Zell is an easy way to send money, they're already kind of putting that um, little precursor out there saying it's an easy way to send money with friends and family. It's already kind of alluding to not anyone else, which ends up being how banks decline you. It's just ridiculous. Now, let me go ahead and play a little bit more of this.
1: Here's how it works. The app is linked to your bank account. All you need to send money is someone's email address or phone number. Just press send, and the cash is transferred. Unlike other apps, this happens in minutes, not days. So NBC News found people across the country who say hackers used Zelle to drain their bank accounts. $3, I had $3,000 get pulled out of my account. $190. $1,500. $4,700. $4, $6,400. We lost about 1500 total.
0: Now, when you hear that, you hear all the people losing all that money. But before that, the reporter mentioned, of course you know, you can send it in minutes to anyone who has a valid email address or phone number. And a lot of people are just kind of ignoring the fact that that's the scam, okay? When you send it to someone so easily, so if I send it to, you know, area code 212-555-5555, and then I I accidentally hit 5556, then if someone has 5556, and they're with Zelle, they're going to get the money and and the transaction's completed within minutes, and you're screwed. You can't say, oh, I meant to send it to Which means it kind of puts the onus on you to be perfect. But whenever they say it's easy to send it like that, well, it's easy for crooks to just send it to any phone number that they've already stolen and set, set up with Zelle with the bank account and, and all that as well. So the fact that they discuss it at the beginning and then it shows all the people being scammed, they're kind of missing the boat on that. What, what you need to understand is whenever you have something so easy There's not a confirmation. It's like, are you sure you want to send it to this number? Or at least give a first name saying, hey, we know that there's a person named James with this phone number on here. Is it with James that you're sending the money to? Then that's when you hit yes or confirm. Give them an extra chance to... Think about it before it's sent and then they can't recoup it. And those people that mentioned that they got scammed aren't normally people that are sending money accidentally and they send it to the wrong number. These are people who didn't even know that they got scammed until they looked at their bank account and said, what the hell is this? Where's all my money at? So let me play a little bit more of this.
1: Chris Anthony Roush says thieves called from an 800 number that appeared to be her bank's fraud department and tricked her into sharing personal banking information. They wanted me to... Verify my identity through a text that six numbers was what they needed to access my account
0: Now this is an easy scam. Okay, there's apps on your phone that you can spoof phone numbers I used to do that whenever you know I was trying to talk to someone who probably didn't want to talk to me. I'm guilty as charged Um, of that as well and those have been around smartphones have been around so it's easy for someone to you know spoof a number and say hey it's my customer service in the bank calling and we're gonna send you a text message with a six-digit code that you need to get and then you give it to us and that's our way of verifying it and then with that code they're able to set up your Zelle to send to whoever else or whatever it's an easy scam to do and I know a lot of times you know banks will say well that's your responsibility to be more careful but everything looks the way that it would look even if the bank was calling you so if it was calling you from that number they don't know the protocols they don't know the like the two-way authentication that banks do or whatever so if they're saying hey before we talk to you we're gonna send you a code that's exactly what freaking bank of america does bank of america sends you a code on their phone saying hey read back that code for me that way i know that it's you james vaca if you give them the code and go, oh yeah, it's correct, that's a way of authenticating. So the, the crooks are actually really, really smart. They're actually using the bank systems against them because Bank of America authenticates you through text message on your phone. And now you're saying, well, how, did the, how's, how do the crooks know this person's phone number? people that try to unlist their numbers or try to hide information about them it's all on the internet search james baca las cruces new mexico you'll probably find out how much money i made at bank of america you'll probably know the estimates of who my siblings are who my wife is who my parents are just by searching my name there's information that's there it's out in the open it's public i've opened bank accounts i have agreed to terms with companies that share information and that information is out there on the internet so unless you're really really hardcore about unlisting everything and going off the grid it's really hard to kind of hide your phone number and hide where you live and everything so it's easy for crooks to look it up hell that's how i look up bank of america executives email addresses at bank of america but i'm trying to help people is you just search for a name and search bank of america and chances are you're going to find an email or a phone number that's how easy it is and a lot of people don't realize i guess a lot of A lot of people who are falling victim to the scam don't realize that, hey, you know, this is what my bank does, so it's got to be the bank. This can't possibly be a scam. It's the bank's fault for kind of setting it up to where it's easy for a crook to spoof the the way to authenticate a customer over the phone. I I worked there long enough to know that if I was up to no good, I probably would know how to scam people as well just because they make it so damn easy to kind of fake what – you know, the authentication part of identifying you over the phone, period. So here's a little bit more of it.
1: Cybersecurity expert Bob Sullivan says what makes Zelle so fast and convenient is also what makes it so alluring to criminals. The quicker the transaction is, the quicker a criminal can steal.
0: This is almost engineered for crime. All right. And I talked to Bob Sullivan. He's um, tweeted at me a couple times. I've replied to him. Um, I don't know him well, but I know that he is kind of on the case of this, and I'm really appreciative of him. You know, letting people know about this as well. And he's seeing it from the part of a, a security expert. I'm seeing it as a person that was in the front lines as a banker. So what he's saying is true. It's engineered for crime. It's a quick transaction. Whenever Zal says it's available in minutes, they're touting that as a positive. I don't think availability in minutes is something that is a positive if you're getting scammed and there's no way of literally stopping the transaction. So if I steal your information and I send money to a Zelle account, that I sent somewhere else, and it's in a matter of minutes. I could literally be sitting at the freaking ATM doing the Zelle scam from your account to my fake Zell account to withdraw money. Once I get the confirmation, hey, so-and-so sent James Baca $1,000. I'm right there by the ATM, whip out my card. That money is available re- immediately. I withdraw that 1000 And even if the bank figures out that it's fraud a day or two later, guess what? That money is already gone. I already spent it. I already committed a crime. So the fact that, You know, in a matter of minutes that this transaction happens is not a positive. It's actually, you know what, we're so worried about speed nowadays, you know, and I I was, you know, first world problems here. I was trying to do something on behalf of um, one of my followers last night while I was watching the basketball game. And I was trying to write a letter for him. So I'm writing the letter and my laptop is just so slow. It's only two years old, but it just seems like it's 20 years old. The computer that I use to record this podcast on is so much faster um, because it's more engineered to do media and stuff like this. And I just saw that notch slower and I'm like, oh, this is so slow. What's going on? Yes, I'm complaining, and yes, I'm, you know, there's a faster option for me. But at the same time, I'm thinking about I'm going, Damn, I have two computers. How awesome is that? I remember I just wanted one computer when I was 10 years old. I have two, and they're literally within 10 steps of each other. So to me, the fact that I just have a way of accessing all this stuff is good enough. Speed doesn't matter in most cases. Guess what? I'm not going anywhere. I was in my comfy clothes at home trying to do some work. So with Zelle, the fact that it's available in a matter of minutes is I don't know. That's one of the reasons why I think it's very scam heavy, as Bob said as well, is that it just happens so fast to where literally if someone's committing the fraud and they're in front of an ATM, within five minutes, that money can be out of your account to someone else's and withdrawn, never to be seen again. So that's one part that they need to fix. And I'm glad that he brought that to attention because I think it's not just the scam, it's the fact that it happens so fast. I can. You know, I have a machete that my father-in-law gave me for my birthday, okay? I can literally whip out that machete and rob you at knife point and get that money and run really fast. But then I'd be committing a a violent armed robbery. Guess what? I can commit the robbery without a machete as long as I know what your phone number is, as long as you're dumb enough to give me a six-digit code. And I'm not calling these people dumb because... It's dumb that banks give people this option of identifying through a text code, which gives crooks the opportunity to spoof that and cause all these issues. So I have one way of committing a crime. Guess what? I'm going to do it the easy way, through text message and convincing, period. So let's wrap up a little bit more of this story here.
1: Zell declined to be interviewed on camera, but in a statement said they and their banking partners apply layers of protection, including identity verification, multi-factor authentication send limits and real-time fraud alerts zell added as with all digital payment technologies that provide consumers with greater convenience there exists the potential for fraud
0: that statement pisses me off their statement that they told nbc news essentially saying we have many ways of protecting our customers including multi-layer identification and all these things that i just mentioned were how and the the people mentioned on the news story were kind of parts of how they got scammed. If they have many ways of identifying and one of them is sending you a code to your phone, that's not secure. In fact, that's that's the total opposite of secure because someone can fake that just as easy like that person who got scammed for 1500 they literally got they got scammed because they provided a six-digit code that was sent to them. That's one of Zelle's ways of identifying you as well. So how the hell is that any secure? And working with their bank partners to kind of find other ways of security, including cash limits. That's just meaning risk mitigation. That's just meaning you know making sure that they can only send X amount of dollars a day or a month. Meaning that if the bank loses that money, that hey, it's it's capping out how much they can actually lose. Not saying oh well they can't take it all in one shot. Well, if you have $500 in your account because you're poor and they steal $500 using Zelle, the limits don't mean a damn thing to you because that's all you got. That's literally all you freaking got. So don't tell me that setting up limits is is um, one way of protecting me. That's stupid, okay? I made $42,000 a year when I worked at Bank of America. The most I ever had in my primary checking account on a given time was probably like $900. You know, I had money elsewhere in other savings accounts and whatnot, but my primary spending account where my direct deposit went in is $900. So if someone was, you know, theoretically going to steal $900 from me and put me at zero, a a daily limit of $2,500 wasn't going to do a freaking thing to me, and they they know that. And then the other thing with real-time alerts yeah, okay, talk to my Bank of America customers that I help on, um, at Bank Screwed Us on Twitter, about real-time alerts. These are people who get overdraft alerts saying that they've been overdrawn on their account literally 24 af- hours after the actual overdraft occurs. They'll get the overdraft you know, from some automatic payment for, let's say, Netflix or something that happens at 1 in the morning you know, on a Friday. Then they'll get the message saying, hey, your account's overdrawn. And it's like Saturday at 10 a.m. that they get it. And in that time, the the transaction's already posted. The overdraft fee's already posted. And they had no way of making it right. And even if they caught the negative, right at the moment of Netflix withdrawing that money, they couldn't put that money in the ATM fast enough to where it's still one charge and overdraft fee. So that real-time alerts thing is a bunch of crap. I know this because... I set up limits all the time, and I never get notifications for it. And I know these people never do as well. It's a known complaint that um, bigger banks, particularly Bank of America and Wells Fargo, have. Just take a look. Search for Bank of America and Wells Fargo on Twitter. I guarantee you'll find at least one person within two minutes of just searching through all those things, saying, you know, FU Bank of America, I overdrafted, and I set up real-time alerts, but thank you for letting me know that I was overdrawn two days after it happened. I really appreciate it it's so stupid and it's so maddening that's a whole other topic for other day it actually has nothing to do with Zell, but that's that was Zell's statement talking about their bank partners provide real-time alerts shut the hell up that is such a lie that is it, it is the biggest lie out there um the the main part of what i wanted to talk about was at the end of this news article so give me one second i'm gonna play federal,
1: federal law requires banks to reimburse you for this kind of fraud. Even so, Roush says she had to push to get her money back. I think it's really important for everyone to know they're vulnerable.
0: That's the home run I wanted to tell you about. Federal law requires banks to reimburse you for this. (sighs) That is such a lie. Okay, yes, they're required to reimburse you whenever fraud claims are found in your favor. When they say, okay, yeah, we understand that there's fraud going on. We understand there's fraud going on, so um, we're going to reimburse you for this. And banks call it um, policy losses. They say, "Hey, if everything adds up, and we can, and and he or she proves that they were defrauded um, as a result of the Zelle transaction that we know that they didn't do. Hell, maybe they didn't have Zelle, so all of a sudden Zelle was enrolled and money was taken out. It has to be fraud, right? And they're going to reimburse you because federal law requires that, right? I, I'm going to I'm going to kind of scream this. I'm going to get away from the mic. It is a lie. It's a lie. So what Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, and all these people do, and this is where I just get just so pumped up about it, is they decline the customers and they'll, they'll say, they'll send a letter or an email to their customers saying that after our investigation, we've determined these are valid charges. How the hell do they prove that? They do not prove that they're valid charges, guys. They do not prove it. They just say, hey, we found out they're valid. Well, how did you prove they were valid? You know the phone number that it was sent to. Did you realize that? Hey, oh, hey, that's an f- old frat buddy of mine from ten years ago. No, there's no way that you can prove that that person that that got my money that was stolen from me is someone that I know. And and the way that banks are declining it is they're basically saying, well, it's not your friends and family, so um, we told you not to send it to people who aren't your friends and family. But they had their account stolen. All the people that I've rescued money for, the $40,000, the $40,000 that I've worked the last two months to get reversed for customers on behalf of Wire bank sucks um, for Zelle and other fraud claims too. It's not just Zelle, but we're talking about Zelle now. The fact that the banks will send a letter, and, and I have copies of these letters, guys. I'm, you know, I... My customers, my followers, trust me to send me these documents, and I have them scratch out what I don't need to see, um, you know, account number-wise and their phone numbers and addresses or whatever. But it says that after our investigation, we determined that this charge was valid, so we're denying your claim. Banks are required to refund you whenever fraud happens, but what banks are doing is they're claiming that it's not fraud and that it was a valid charge and they're not going to refund you a damn thing. If I've rescued $40,000, one person just working hard to help these people who are in need, how much more are banks taking? And yeah, I know the banks aren't pocketing the money saying, oh yeah, we're rich now because we're not giving these claims out. It's not even about that. That money was withdrawn and spent by someone else. The fact that the bank does not even try. I know that they don't try because I have my followers send police reports. I have them send you know, proof of logins. And Bank of America has proof that someone uses online banking or they don't. I know this. They have a little meter that shows how many times within 90 days that you've um, signed into mobile banking whatever. If someone never does it and all of a sudden they do and then $5,000 is missing and you're going to say that that was them it was valid charge, that's the whole definition of a regular activity, guys. The whole definition of a regular activity is that. And shame on freaking banks for saying that. So the NBC News article, and I'm not picking on them, they they read what's you know the the procedures and policies of banks and what the government requires of banks whenever fraud happens. They're saying, well, yeah, you know, federal law requires that you know banks reimburse you whenever there's fraud, but banks are saying, I hate to use this phrase in this fake news. It's fake. This person is not is not um a victim of fraud. This was a valid charge that they know, so we're denying the claim and we're not going to reimburse them their money, because yeah, someone has to pay for you know. For crimes, you know, they always say shop shoplifting is not a victimless crime because prices go up or whatever. Um, well, with Zelle and the declination of claims, banks have to pay that out of pocket to their customers, saying, "Hey, well, we're sorry that you got scammed. Here's your two thousand dollars back. So let's try to do this again. This time, a little bit better." No, they'll say, "No, well." It was a valid charge, and it was sent to someone you don't know. Remember, Zelle is a third-party service, and we're not responsible for any losses that happen in the third-party service. And you're supposed to send it to friends and family only. And if it's a stranger, then you should be really wary about sending it to strangers. But they didn't do it. But they didn't do it, and yet the bank is saying, oh, we're we're, um, denying the claim. So that whole thing about NBC saying, hey, well, they're required to. Yeah, they're required to when they find in your favor. But banks are automatically declining these things despite the fact that my customers, my followers, have overwhelming amounts of evidence. And even the people that I don't touch have overwhelming amounts of evidence that prove that they were getting defrauded. And the bank doesn't give a damn. They do not give a damn, and it pisses me off. It really gets me mad. So I'm really, really glad that NBC provided this um, news story. It's like 5 million people or something watched the, the local, the national news, excuse me. You know, it's a a small sliver of people. And how many people, you know, bank with a bank that does business with Zelle? You know, probably half of them or something. So it's a good amount of people that are going to be alerted, and maybe they'll never do Zelle again. There's some people who don't use debit cards because of horror stories. They heard about debit cards 25 years ago on 2020 and Dateline and all those things. And I remember those old-timers saying, oh, I saw this news article 20 years ago, and I never wanted to get a debit card. It's overkill, and I don't agree with um, you know kind of doing without just because someone said it was bad twenty years ago. Maybe Zell, or the things that come after Zell, will be awesome when they figure out a way to properly authenticate people. But that's not even the point. I like the fact that technology is moving forward. But what the banks are doing, and I know that it's on purpose, is they're saying, "Well, Zell is not." bank of america or chase or wells fargo it's early warning services llc whatever the hell that is and i think Zell's based out of arizona or something and it's a company that is kind of in bed with the banks but they call themselves not a part of the banks so they're kind of treating themselves as hey it's um we don't have anything to do with them we're just merely a contractor of theirs and Whenever it hits the fan, guess what? They're not responsible, go to your bank, and then the bank says go to Zelle, and there's a bunch of just stalling, and it ends up you not getting your money back. So those people in those news stories, I got to tell you, I feel so bad for them, and some of them got their money back, and as the news story mentioned, that they had to push and push. Well, guess what? That's what I'm doing for these customers. I'm pushing and pushing for them because they don't realize that their bank is actually doing another part of a scam to them as well. So I'm going to work hard with my vigilante customer service and wire bank sucks to tell you one thing. I hate Zelle and I want Zelle to go away and I'm going to work as hard as I can. I will spend every penny that I have um, on keeping this podcast open and keeping my project open to make sure that people realize that Zelle is a horrible thing. And it needs to go away because it's not secure. And anytime someone is defrauded, banks are treating their customers like crap and they're screwing them out of their money. It is horrible. It is horrible. I'm so thankful that NBC um, aired this, um, you know, this news story because it wouldn't be talked about otherwise. And um, I don't want to take full credit for the success of um, getting it out there on Twitter yet. I've, I've done some things, but I haven't done it all yet, but I'm going to be persistent as hell, and as you know, as news stories go, that's one drop in the bucket of news stories that happen every single day, and I don't know if that will be mentioned again, but I'm not going to let, let it go. I'm going to mention it until the cows come home, guys. I, I, I really am, and um, I got to tell you that it's, it's important to me to make sure that people trust their banks. That's important. I don't like banks, but you still got to trust them, okay? And the fact that they're not letting you get access to the money that was stolen from you um, through fake denial of claims, through making it hard through all this crap that they put you through, guys, it's why Zelle sucks and why AirBank sucks. After this brief promotional consideration, um, I have a little special segment that I'm going to read A message that I got from a a listener of ours. So stick around uh, for a little bit more of Why Your Bank Sucks. It's a little bit longer podcast today, but we have a lot to talk about. So please stick around. All right, we are back. I wanted to respond to one email that I got. Um, I typically get a lot of emails at jamesandwhyyourbanksucks.com, although I do get a lot of DMs on Twitter, at bankscrewedus. Um, it's about 95% positive. I think the 5% that are negative are typically, uh, why are you picking on the bank? Why do you have such a vendetta against banks in general? And it's usually the pro-bank types, the ones that say, well, I, you know, banked somewhere for 30 years and never had a problem. That's great. If you never had a problem, then more power to you, you know, until you have a problem, you don't know that there are these problems out there with your bank. So I understand the critiques and criticisms. A lot of the times I'll hear, well, you must have sucked at your job. That's probably why you're doing your Twitter thing now because you just have a beef or a vendetta with Bank of America and other banks. I thought so at first, but then once I started to help people on here, I really liked it a lot and I really want to help people as much as I can because I have a lot of knowledge. And it's a lot of knowledge that I don't want to apply in a bank setting anymore because, one, I don't want to wear a suit and tie anymore and speak – companies speak for a a bank that doesn't care about you, the customer – it's, it's the ability to use this knowledge the way that I like to use it in order to help people without being affiliated with the bank. I want people to be happy with their bank or I want people to be happy somewhere else if they're not getting treated right. So for the most part, it's 95% or so positive. There's always going to be negative people. I always I call it the rule of Amazon. You can look at any product on Amazon and you're not going to see five stars out of five. This podcast is 4.6 stars out of um, five stars and it's not perfect and it won't be. Have one person who left me a one-star review and they didn't leave a review. One person that left me a four-star review and they didn't leave a review. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with critique. But the rule of Amazon is not everything can be perfect. So you're always gonna find one guy. Like I always say, just you know, look at look up toasters, and then you're gonna find, oh, the great greatest toaster I ever had. It's so modern and sleek looking, such a great value for the price for the toaster. Then there's that one guy with the one star. Oh, it burnt my muffin the first time I put it in there, and um, the holes don't fit my fingers. I have wide fingers and I I could have burnt myself on the side. So one star. This is the worst product that they have ever made. Worst toaster. Do not buy ever. That's the rule of Amazon. And I don't look at reviews for that reason. If there's a two-star overall average for a product, I'm just not going to buy it and look and see why. But if it's 4.6 to 5 stars, I'm just going to take the word of so many people because that's good word of mouth. You know, Bad reviews really do have a way of um, carrying a lot of weight when there's a lot of them. But when there's that one guy... It doesn't really hold as much water as it usually would if there's 100 people of, you know, the same ilk saying the same thing. Um, But there was an email from Derek, um, and he messaged me saying, well, how bad were you at your job to have gotten fired? You must have been, you know, near firing several times before they finally pulled the trigger on you. So how many times did you almost think that you were going to get fired while working for Bank of America? (laughs) <laughs> and i i read this and it's funny and i think a lot of people around me uh, my friends that were there at the time of course my wife probably knows this it seemed like every year that there was something going on where i just thought that i was going to lose my job that doesn't mean i was bad at my job that just meant that the environment that banks have is just so just scary for someone who works at a bank that you never feel comfortable so To to answer your question, Derek, I mean, it's probably, in 13 years of working there, I probably thought, oh, crap, I'm going to get fired. (sighs) I'm going to say 10 times. Uh, One of the first times whenever I was a part-time teller back home in Socorro, New Mexico, I accidentally forced balanced. So basically what forced balancing is, is your computer says that you have $20,000, but in your drawer you have nineteen thousand nine hundred and eighty. dollars You know, if you get audited and the screen, computer screen doesn't match up with what you got in your till, that's like a violation from hell. You can get fired almost immediately from that. And I remember one time I just made a mistake with a customer, and I could have sworn that I counted the money correctly, but obviously I didn't. And whenever I was balancing, I was just so nervous, and people were just looking over me, and I just get, I was so shy, and I would just screw things up. And basically, I put in my numbers. I was like $0.10 cents off or something like that. So I was happy with that. I accepted the difference. I let them know, hey, I was $0.10 cents off. And I put my money in and, and my little vault, and then I left for the day. had a day off or something the day after that, I remember. And then I remember coming in late the next day and then opening my vault. And I see um, – I was a messy person, I'll admit it. I see the the cash till that I had just so neatly rubber-banded and perfect. It looked beautiful. It looked like something that wasn't my cash till And I'm like, oh wow, they like searched my drawer. I wonder what's going on. And then I get called to the little cubicle that my boss had and said, hey, well, we show that you balanced out at this. And then this is what we counted. You were actually $42 off. And they're like, you know, this is a serious violation, James. We have to send it to this and this department. And we'll see what happens with that. But I know that you mean well and we want to keep you. But just be really careful with stuff like this. And, you know, if you have a difference, let us know. And it wasn't something malicious. It was just something that I screwed up on. And I was scared. I just remember being so scared. I was just so new to the place. And I was like, I'm going to lose my job already. Like, how bad do I suck, you know? And there was about two or three times that I felt that way Um, in Socorro. then when I transferred down here um, to Las Cruces, I took a $3,000 loss on a check. And this was 2009-ish. Um, Basically, the system was calling for a hold on this check that this guy put in. Um, And it's an Arizona account, and without boring you with the details, Arizona has some rule that you got to make available all the funds on a check if there's no holds that the system puts on it. So if the check is $10,000 and the guy has no holds on the system, even though the bank is like afraid of fraud and all that stuff, you have to credit it immediately. It's just some rule in Arizona. It's like Oregon has that same rule as well. But long story short, it was prompting a hold, even though this guy had the Arizona account, which credited immediately. And I scanned the check for the system to read it. Type in the routing number. Type in the account number, and then I punch in uh, three zero zero zero. But what I didn't realize is whenever I hit the second zero, my fat thumb hit the period. So instead of three thousand dollars, it put it in there for thirty dollars, which banks don't hold checks under hundred, so it didn't um, process a hold. And it credited immediately. Guy took 2800 out later on that day. And then the next day it came back as a fraudulent check. Literally almost got fired because my fat thumb pressed a dot. In lieu of pressing $3,000, I accidentally pressed $30 and I almost lost my job. I ended up taking a final warning and saying, James, we're going to give you this chance. And I just remember thinking um, to my friend at the time and to my girlfriend, now my wife, just like, I don't know how the hell I dodged that bullet, but thank God I did. And I'm never going to screw up again. And did I screw up? Yes, I screwed up a couple of other times. There was another time in 2011 where I was taking a job kind of as a part-time banker. Uh, I was like a half banker, half teller. And then the first week that I was in that role, some lady came in and she was so happy that she was getting married and she got this check from her father-in-law and she was excited to use this for her honeymoon or whatever. She just kept on talking and talking and talking. And I'm like, okay, can I have your thumbprint? Can Can I have your IDs? And then it said $952 or something, and it looked fine. And I ran it. and gave her the 952 She left. And then I looked at the check again, and then it looked like someone squeezed in the 9 on a $52 check, and then they put 900 they squeezed it in on the P2. It looked like it fit, but it also didn't at the same time. So I just had this feeling in my stomach like, man, I wonder if this is fraud. I'll give it to my um, supervisor at the time. She, just, she turns white as it goes. She goes, oh, my God, I think this check is coming back. And sure enough, um, it came back. Someone had it stolen from their mailbox, and yeah, a fraud investigation later showed that um, the only reason I kept my job was I documented her IDs, and she was a known um, scammer that ended up going to prison, not for my thing, but for other similar situations that she had. But I remember that feeling of, it's coming back, it's fraud, calling um, the number that I had on file for her, because we used to have to put the phone numbers on the checks, and then she was saying, "Oh yeah, no, that's my daughter, and she has a mental problem, and she um, she does all these criminal things." And um, what's your what's your name and phone number? And I'll get back to you, and we're gonna we're gonna have her return that money. No one comes. So I call the number again three hours later, and then the phone number had been disconnected. I got scammed of almost a thousand dollars, and um, because of my attendance and because of my good work ethic i got to keep my job with another final warning of 2011 and then there's other things that i explained in my book um other times where i thought i was like oh man i'm gonna lose my job and somehow i survived them so the one thing that i had that got me fired for four dollars i was like dude i survived so many of these things four dollars they're gonna find it in my favor i'm yeah I, I made a mistake granted and it was something that kind of was uh the bank put me in a spot where that mistake happens and I was going to be at fault no matter what, so that was their grounds for termination. But in reality, they just wanted to cut staff and they wanted to get rid of the seasoned people who were making a lot more money than the younger people, and that's what I feel, that's what I know happened. And that's why I'm here talking to you. So yeah, it was a lot of times that I thought I was going to lose my job, and I think that's part of working at a bank, Derek. So I I am not ashamed to admit my shortcomings. I wasn't the best teller. In fact, I sucked. I wasn't the best banker until I got confidence and I became good. So I almost got written up and fired for not hitting sales goals. And those are the things that get you fired as a banker more often than not in a bank branch. So... Whenever I talk about bad banks and bad bank experiences, I'm I'm giving you the raw emotion that I feel from all those horrible situations that I was in sales situations, and then those times when I was a teller when I didn't even think I was gonna make it that far that I know that hey you can be on the chopping block for something so simple and you don't even realize it. So you know my thing is, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm I'm okay to admit all these things, but. Everyone loses their job. The average person goes through nine jobs in a lifetime. So just because I had a bad experience and a bad ending doesn't mean that my knowledge isn't there. That doesn't mean that my intent is malicious. That means it's just I want to work hard to make sure that you're getting the best experience because there are some people that work for banks and work for other companies that just don't give a damn about you. And I'm the opposite of that. I give a damn about my customers, which is why I do this podcast. So please just keep in mind, you know, that... You know, you could have emotions about something and still be objective. I want to believe that banks do a good job. But I also know that the people that I worked with were the best um, employees that I worked with, and we were the best branch. Though they closed us citing cutbacks, yet they made $28 billion. So I know the intent of banks is not always there, but the intent of the people that work in the banks for the most part, they mean well. They really do, and I meant well, and I'm not there anymore, so... Um, I really thank you for the email. If you ever want to ask me a question, I definitely don't mind answering them. James at WireBankSucks.com. You can post it at BankScrewDust on Twitter. You could DM me. I'm fine with that. And um, I'll answer it on the podcast. And I'm really glad that you're listening and I'm able to answer these questions. So um, I really think that the fact that a lot of times that banks really kind of put their employees on edge makes for a bad experience and that's just one more reason why your bank sucks my name is james vaca and i'm going to wrap it up in just a minute after this brief promotional consideration so please stick around all right and we are back so patreon.com slash wirebank sucks for the support that i need to continue this podcast continue my website to continue um my twitter posting my vigilante customer service helping customers uh, for as little as $1 a month, you could support this podcast and help us out. For $2 a month, you help support it and you get an extra podcast or two every single month. For $5, you get some small merchandise. For $15, you get my advice, you get my assistance for any financial problem that you have. And for $35 a month, I will send you a t-shirt every quarter. At least donate $1, guys. If we get 1,000 people donating $1, that would be awesome. That would help out a lot and that's going to help dozens of people get their money back from banks they're gonna deal with banks in a better way because of my service to them so please please help me out Um, i have great sponsors i have great support but i need a dollar here or there to continue this podcast which will help me be as successful as possible i don't need a million dollars i just need enough to pay the bills so i can continue to kick ass for you guys okay Thank you so much to my sponsor, Kasasa. They are great people. They are awesome. Go to um, at Kasasa, that's K-A-S-A-S-A, and www.kasasa.com for more information about their awesome free checking with rewards and see if there's a location near you. They're really great people, and they're really awesome to sponsor a podcast um, of this ilk, so I really appreciate them and the support that they've given me. A couple of books coming out – Bank of America nearly made me homeless and I work there and beer money coming out very, very soon. Um that is part of the Patreon thing as well. If you donate $15 or more, I will send you the books in either PDF or paperback format, depending on the tiers that you sign up for. Um go to wirebanksucks.com for more information about me, about the podcast. And you also have links on there to su- subscribe to uh, our podcast to various channels such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and so forth. And then, um, of course, at Us, our vigilante customer service, our running commentary about banks, our daily battle for good customer service with our clients on Twitter. Please follow us. And then at JamesBIsRight is my personal Twitter. It's mostly basketball posts, Vegas takes, gym pictures, and whatnot. But you'll see the man behind the madness of why your bank sucks if you follow me on Twitter. And, um, guys, I got to tell you, thank you so much for the overwhelming support. We've had a record breaking week when it comes to Twitter impressions. We've had. Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 110,000 Twitter impressions in the last four days, which is just crazy. It's a crazy amount for someone with 735 followers as of recording this podcast, which tells me I tweet a lot, which tells me I have a lot of personal one-on-one interactions. And I'm getting the message across that you know, banks are really difficult to work with, and people know that already, but there's a better way of dealing with this customer service. Yes, you can complain all you want on social media, but I'm going to hear your complaint, and I'm going to help you fix it. That's my vigilante customer service, and that is my my dedication to this project and my dedication to you who listens to me, who follows me on Twitter. So you got that support through and through. I will be back a little bit later on next week with another amazing podcast. Um. Please leave us some voicemails. That way, we could play some more voicemails. Area code 575-322-4127. I have a few of them in the bank, no pun intended, but I want a few more. And maybe we'll do an all voicemails episode sometime in the near future as well. There's so much going on, guys. There's a lot of projects. I'm tired. I'm working 17 hours a day here. But I really think that we got something good going. And um, my mission is to help you um, bank better and hold banks accountable for their crap. My other mission, of course, is to get rid of Zell, so we're going to work really hard at getting rid of Zell as well, and um, I'm going to work hard as much as I can to make sure that you feel better about your money and you feel better about banking, so I'm going to be here for that. My name is James Baca, and I just told you why your bank sucks. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in a couple of days. Have a great day.